0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of In Person, brought to you by Bizabo. In each episode of In Person, we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. In case you and I haven't already met, I'm Brandon Raffleson. Did you know that there are over 20 brands in the Forbes Live umbrella? These include Forbes Under 30 Summit, Forbes Woman Summit, Forbes CIO Summit. The responsibility for driving attendance for these events rests principally on the shoulders of one woman, Shardea Christophe Garcia. With over 10 years of experience in media marketing at brands like Time, New Bay Media, and American Express, Shardea has achieved a comprehensive understanding of the industry. During her time at Forbes so far, Shardea has pioneered new promotional channels and assisted the brand in expanding their event portfolio. During our conversation, Shadea shared how Forbes is leveraging in-person events to further their editorial brand. We also discussed which promotional channels work best, why sometimes it pays to take it slow in your career, and the importance of knowing that not everyone is going to like you, and why that shouldn't hold you back. Let's get to it. Welcome to In Person. Today, we are joined by Shardaya Christophe-Garcia, the Marketing Director at Forbes Live. Shardaya, thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. So I'm really excited to speak with you about all the different events that you're currently running with Forbes Live. There are a lot of them. They're very different in terms of content and audience that you're speaking to. And there's also a really huge event that I'm interested to learn a little bit more about, the Forbes Under 30 Summit. So stoked to dive into that a little bit as well. But for starters, could you tell us a little bit about the Forbes brand? Sure.
1: Forbes is a great company. It's a media company, but we have a bunch of different legs to the, to the division. So we have Brand Voice, we have Forbes Insights, and Forbes Live is what I focus on primarily. We have a bunch of different business units that kind of work towards reaching a consumer base, whether it be through targeted ads, whether it be through sponsorship activations, whether it be through live events editorial reach. So there's a bunch of different areas that Forbes touches on. I can speak best to Forbes Live, obviously, because that's my team. But what I like about Forbes as a brand is there's one unifying goal, and that's to be able to kind of tell the stories that people want to hear from an editorial standpoint and really reach young entrepreneurs where it matters and and kind of champion them to be the best versions of themselves they can be. So yeah, it's it's been but I'm still learning day to day about all the ins and outs. You know, sometimes you get to stick in your one little bubble and you don't always get to venture into some of the other areas. But, you know, we have our monthly town meetings and we get to kind of get an insight into what all the different business units are working on. It's always really cool. But Forbes Live is probably what I could speak to the most. Brand voice and insights, they're all doing amazing things on their own, right? But you probably have to talk to, (laughs) to them about getting all the details. Yeah. That's
0: good. To give us a little bit more context... Could you tell us about Forbes Live and what your role is there?
1: Sure. Forbes essentially uh, has a lot of different business units and a lot of different business lines. Forbes Live is kind of the event leg of Forbes. So we handle tentpole events. Those are our larger events that could be anywhere from 300, 500, a couple thousand people. And then we have another leg of that that's custom events, and those are more sponsor driven. So if a sponsor wants to reach a certain audience, they can come with us and partner to produce an event that is much smaller. And those are the two kind of areas that we focus on. So the team kind of comprises of a few different areas. We have obviously the sales leg that handles all the sponsorship activations. We have the programming team that kind of focuses on putting together the agenda with editorial. We have logistics. So those are the people that are on the ground planning the event and dealing with, you know, F&B and site visits and all that good stuff. Um, And then we have audience development, which is my team, and it's our job to get butts in seats. So a lot of it is marketing and project management and working with different stakeholders and editorial to kind of make sure that the attendee has the best experience and we're communicating anything like highlights on the agenda, sp- new speakers, panels, experiences, all that good stuff to the attendee to get them to register.
0: From an audience generation perspective, what would you say the biggest differences are between the tentpole events and the custom events?
1: I think the custom events are a lot more grassroots. I work with Lex Engel, and he kind of takes the lead on the custom events. Where I take the lead on on tentpole, and I mean, there will be times where Lex is literally sending personal emails through his Outlook, dedicated outreach, one-on-one, really personal communications to the attendees, to the point where they are they they know him by first name in many cases. And I think that when you're dealing with a much smaller audience, you kind of have to do that because the client is very specific about what they want and who they want in the room. And in order to kind of get that, you do need to do a mix of maybe some bigger blasts, but a lot more personal outreach. Whereas with the 10-pole events, because we're trying to get a lot bigger numbers, we probably will hit a wider list, still targeted, but we do a lot more bigger blasts than um, really personal one-offs.
0: Got it. And just to briefly discuss it, When it comes to promoting these types of events, what tactics do you typically lean on?
1: We rely heavily on email marketing still. I know when we were at the Empower conference, um, I spoke about that, and a lot of people think it's really old school, but I think it's really important to kind of mix old school with new and email marketing still works for us, and it still gets messages inside an inbox. And people are still, especially if they are attached to the brand, they're still opening up. So we find that we do uh, for for many events, we may do social media marketing campaigns, we may do uh, ads in the newsletter, we may do ads on the site, and by far, email marketing still seems to perform the best for us. Now, it also depends on which event. You know, sometimes when we're doing stuff for our under thirty summit, that audience gravitates a lot more to social. So they. They will respond more to you know a promotion on Instagram. But if we're dealing with an event for CIOs, for example, not as much. So it's kind of one of those things where you kind of have to know your audience and what method works best. But for us, we've found that email marketing still is effective. And we've taken it even further back. We've also recently discussed trying to do some more direct mail pieces because it's kind of one of those things where digital is getting so bombarded that, you know, no one's getting actual mail anymore. I mean, it gets to the point where when I get a package, I'm like, oh, somebody sent me something. So uh, we kind of are playing with that idea as well to kind of bring some of those old school methods back and mix it with the digital and see how those perform. But yeah, it's been good so far.
0: Okay, and when it comes to direct mail, have there been any sort of ideas that you've been throwing around the office?
1: Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it more so for the high-level events, like for example, CMO Summit or CIO Summit, where even though it's a big brand and it's a big event, it's a much more targeted audience where we only want a very high-level person in the room. So we talked about doing really customized invitations, stylized, something that really is a wow right out the gate. And we haven't actually done it yet, but it's definitely something we're considering. And obviously, we don't necessarily have budget to do it for like the Under 30 Summit where it's 10,000 people that we're trying to attract. But if you're talking about something more custom that's like in the hundreds, it's a good test to try it out. So TBD, we'll let you you know if it works.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So to take a step back, I know that you worked in a number of different roles in marketing and beyond before you ended up in your current role at Forbes. So my question is, what led you to where you are today?
1: Sure. So right out of college, I went to SUNY Albany. I'm a New Yorker, born and raised. And When I graduated, I kind of was interested in two things. I was really interested in magazines, and I was really interested in interior design. That was when, like, Trading Spaces and HGTV and all those shows were, like, (laughs) at its peak. So originally, I was leaning towards the design route, but then I was an English major, business minor, and I started looking at my my portfolio, and I was like, I have nothing (laughs) that can kind of get me to that space. I'm like, I don't really want to go back to school. I just got my degree. So I was like, out of the two, I think media is... uh, and marketing and publishing was a lot more in line with my skill set. So I was fortunate enough to get an executive assistant job at a company called New Bay Media, and they're now owned by Future PLC. And it was awesome. It was an EA role, but it was a company that was still looking to kind of grow. And, you know, with the right personality, I was able to kind of jump in where I fit in. Anywhere, any opportunity, any department. I was working in accounting. I was working on events. I was working in marketing. I was working on the back end of data. I was working in the mailroom. So it was a bunch of different things that I just got a chance to be exposed to. And it was a really awesome opportunity that really made me decide that I wanted to pursue marketing full time. So I went back to get my master's degree and I did that in marketing, well, communications, and once that happened, I kind of knew I needed to leave and kind of spread my wings a little bit. And from there, I went to American Express Publishing, the time they owned Food and Wine and Travel and Leisure and Departures. And you know, I took a job that was so it was a little. Although the brands were great, it was in the billing and renewal department, and oh, fun. It was super fun. And <laughs> Insert sarcasm. <laughs> it was. It was. Um, it was. It was a great opportunity for me. But it wasn't speaking to the creative side of what I like to do. So I was there for a little bit, and I got an opportunity to work in a different area of the company, working on their affinity club membership. So, for example, if you like Food & Wine magazine, they had a club that you could subscribe to. And if you pay a fee, you get access to specialty wines and specialty cheeses and discounts on events. So I started doing club marketing And um, it kind of just piqued my interest even more. And I I recognized that. I thought events was where where my heart was. And I did some event marketing and more event planning at New Bay. So I kind of just, as as I started getting deeper in my career, I realized events was where I wanted to go. So I got a job back at New Bay after um, Time Inc. And I ended up working and running their event marketing for probably close to 25 events And we were a really small team. So I was managing the email marketing, their social media marketing, organic and paid. I was managing all the newsletter outreach, you know, project managing the entire thing across the board for multiple different events. So that was really where I got thrown into the event marketing landscape. And I was there for about four years and I loved it. And then Forbes kind of scooped me up and they said, Hey, we want to talk. So <laughs> it's been really a great experience. And I definitely feel like this kind of marries my passion for events and marketing. So it kind of checks both boxes.
0: I just I love that story so much. I mean, it's it's very clear that early on you you had an idea of where you wanted to work. And even if you couldn't get exactly where you wanted to go, you started off in that EA role. You started working with all these different teams, um, yeah. learning learning all the different aspects of Media to some extent.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times this generation, and many people even in my own generation, they take that for granted. We're moving away from the time where people stay at jobs for a million years. It's just not what we do. But I think that part of the problem is sometimes kids come out of college and they feel like, well, I have a degree and I deserve to be working in in marketing. And I'm smart. And that's, that's my goal. And no, I don't want to take a mailroom job. No, I don't want to take an assistant job. And they don't realize that sometimes you have to crawl before you walk, you know, and not only do you get respected by doing it that way, you actually start learning what you don't know. So I always like to tell any, you know, I tell my cousins, I tell any of my young professionals that I mentor that you have to kind of take it slow and and you'll get there. And you can take risks, but be advised that it doesn't always have to be a straight line.
0: Yeah, and having that open mindset and
1: really being
0: receptive to new opportunities. Correct. Very cool. Okay, so to, to hop back to Forbes Live, there are many events that your team is involved with. Could you just give us a brief overview of how Forbes Live helps Forbes achieve business outcomes?
1: I think more and more we're seeing that the event landscape isn't going anywhere. People want experiences. They want to have that one to one connection and network and meet people. And you just can't get that anywhere else outside of events. The events opportunity gives you a chance to really have one on one time with people that you may not get access to otherwise. And it also gets access to your peers in the same space. So there's times where you might be, let's say you're a CMO of a company and you're struggling on a a major business need, and you're able to come to the CMO Summit and actually interact with somebody that's on your level. You know, one of the good things that Forbes does is that we really try to curate the audience. Most of our events are not open to the public, you have to apply to attend. And what that does is it allows us to curate a room full of people that are like-minded. And so people feel a lot more comfortable answering questions or asking questions in a non-judgment zone and with people that can actually give them real answers. So you have people leaving our events with not just like, oh, I've gone to another event and it was cool, but I didn't make a connection. You have people meeting people from major organizations and and game changers that could actually affect their business in a positive way. So because of that, I think that more and more companies are starting to use events to kind of help not only spread their brand message, but also sponsors want to reach those audiences as well. So you have two sides. You have the delegate revenue side and you have the sponsorship revenue side. So if you're a brand and you want to reach the under 30 you know, audience and we're doing all these major initiatives in Detroit, you may want to consider being a sponsor because that might be something that could benefit you. So from a business standpoint, you know Forbes is kind of winning on both sides if we get both of those aligned.
0: Awesome. Okay, so we sort of spoke briefly about how Forbes is using events to not only spread their brand but also be engaging sponsors and, and engaging an audience. I would love to briefly run through just a few of the events that you're currently involved with, and you're involved with many. And I'd like to ask you to share just a quick overview of what that event is, and then also a takeaway for our listeners, either on the event promotion side, how you're speaking to particular audiences via particular channels, or anything else that you think was a sort of fun or interesting takeaway from the process so far. Sound fun?
1: Sounds fun. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) All right. So first off, 2019 Forbes Under 30 Global Women's Summit.
1: Sure. So that event was super interesting. We had done the Under 30 Global Summit in years past, and it was always co-ed. And I think with the time being what it is and the power of SHE, and, and there was just a, a real focus that we wanted to place on women empowerment, and this event kind of allowed us to do so. It wasn't that men couldn't come completely, but they had to qualify to reach out and explain how they planned on moving forward the female initiative, how they planned on enhancing you know, a woman's place in the workplace and throughout. So it really was like we wanted women who wanted a safe space to kind of grow and learn and and have a sense of community, and then the male allies who were kind of championing that effort. So it kind of taught us a few things. One thing it taught us that was an eye-opener was just that we needed to clean up our list a little bit. We didn't have uh, gender tags for every single person in our database. So that makes it hard when you want to do a, a female-only event. You can't just blast an entire database of people. That just doesn't work like that. So we really had to take a step back and figure out different ways to get that information. And for the List members, because this is a list member event, we heard a lot of really great feedback from people that felt like, you know, they were able to kind of really talk freely in an open, safe space and communicate with their peers and people who just got it. So it was a first for us. We had never done a global women's summit like this. It was in Israel. So some of the experiences were just phenomenal. And I think people walked away feeling like this was a once in a lifetime experience that they would never forget. So it made us feel really proud to be a part of something like that.
0: Okay, so then you also have the 2019 Forbes Women's Summit.
1: Yes, and it's interesting. So that's a little bit, although both are Women's Summit, this event was right in New York at Chelsea Piers. And that event is awesome. We garner such amazing speakers. We had Eva Longoria. We had Jennifer Garner. So these were the, you know, the whole roster of speakers, Moira Forbes, this is her baby. This is an event that she puts a lot of time and energy into curating, and she really wants it to be perfect. And you can see from the moment you get on site, from all the work that the team, you know, does to kind of make this an ex- special, unique experience. Even when I was talking to the attendees there, they were all in awe about the quality of attendee, the quality of speaker. To have that kind of level of star power in one room and people were stopping to talk. So you could be on the on the way to the bathroom and you might actually bump into someone that uh, is famous and like it just like those little unique experiences. And then the level of camaraderie that was happening at the event on top of panel conversations, we also worked with sponsors to have really fun interactive activations. So there was like a coffee machine that had like Custom image of like some of the speakers and so we had one that was like Serena Williams and just like cool things like that that kind of just enhanced the experience and you know in the past I'd worked at companies where we would have these type of events and whatever the sponsor wanted to do they just did. And I think with Forbes we really try to guide the sponsor experience so that they're creating meaningful activations that can actually build the event so that when people are walking they're creating you know you have a set of Instagrammable moments. And I think our team is really doing a good job of of that. And Women's Summit was a great, great example of that. And we had more people than we had had in the past, which was awesome. And the conversation just kept going. And you could see it by all the shares that we got all over the place with all these different media outlets. It was just a really good time. And people left feeling really empowered.
0: For sure. Okay, 2019 Forbes Opportunity Zone Summit.
1: Yeah, so that event was a new one for us as well. This event was based a lot around um, new legislation that came through where, and I'm sure I'm going to be botching this in some way, but <laughs> essentially it, was, it gives uh, corporations or people that have access to wealth to be able to kind of invest in a community that is of need. So um, Newark, New Jersey, for example, it counts as an opportunity zone. And once you get branded as an opportunity zone, that means that through this new piece of legislature you're able to kind of get funding so if a celebrity maybe is from Newark and wants to devote a lot of energy and time and work with the community board to kind of make stuff happen on a bigger scale they're able to do that and get resources and get a tax write-off because of it and I would I would encourage anyone to really read up on it because it's, it's still very new and it's still moving but it was one event that i can have i have to say that i was so proud to be a part of just listening through all the different stories from all the different panelists about how some of these neighborhoods they're filled with so much love and joy and people that just want more opportunities and they want to be able to kind of see their town lifted up in some way. So to have a place where people that have that access and have that money can kind of put resources into a community and help it grow, it's just a great thing. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the the idea because like anything else, gentrification is a thing and we don't want people to be um, displaced. But That's part of this legislation where it's not to displace people. It's supposed to be to uplift uh, the current neighborhood and just build it out in a way that kind of keeps families there, but opening doors for more opportunities for growth.
0: That's so cool. And so this summit focused on that specifically, had lots of content around that. Yeah.
1: And we had, uh, you know, Charlemagne was on, uh, TI came and spoke. So it spoke to the power of the Forbes brand, but also the power of the content and You know, these guys, they were so, uh, their panel was just amazing to listen to. I don't think anybody walked out without feeling inspired in some capacity. So, and the staff included, we all were just like, yay, this is awesome. (laughs) It was really, it was really great experience. Yeah.
0: Okay. So the final one in this quick overview is the 2019 Forbes Ag Tech Summit.
1: So I love this event. You know, before this year, I hadn't actually attended. I'd marketed it, but I never actually went. And this was my first year going. The event was held in Salinas, California. And I think it was really a way to kind of talk about ag and technology and how the two worlds kind of merge. And and even, you know, for someone, I grew up in the Bronx, so we don't have, I don't see farms. <laughs> I just never grew up around that. So to be able to be on these farms and actually see and hear from these experts that are really talking through how these product is picked and the difference between, you know, a regular egg that you might have at the grocery store and something that's farm-raised. Like, just things that you just don't even think about when you're a consumer in the city. You just kind of buy whatever's in the grocery store. And I have to say, like, you know, we had a sponsor, I think Driscoll's, that had these strawberries and it was so freaking good. I was, I was so, I I hadn't had strawberries that good. And I don't know why, because <laughs> I've i been talking about these strawberries since I left the conference, but. <laughs> They literally um, were, they tasted so much better. And it just spoke to the importance of ag and, to, and agriculture and technology and, and why it's important to have fresh products and fresh produce and how you don't want all these pesticides on your products and educating the average consumer too on on what you should purchase and what you shouldn't and how technology plays a big part in that. So, you know, my favorite part of the summit outside of the amazing content and speakers was the food. You know, our event manager, Lindsay, did such a great job in putting together such a great menu. And I think you kind of have to, right? Because you're dealing with people that are used to fresh food. But there was a pokey station and there was amazing fresh cheeses and meats and fruit. And I think it made the event even more special because people were, even during their breaks, were getting experiences that really fed all their senses. You know, and it left me walking away saying, you know, we really need to find a way to incorporate food as a sensory uh, factor in every event that we do, because I think it, it really added a great element to the event. So we definitely are co- are constantly looking for new ways. I think the event landscape is very populated, so we're competing with everybody and everybody that's trying to put on an event, but I think our team is constantly looking for new ways to kind of take it take it to the next step. So AgTech was definitely one of my favorites.
0: Okay. Great. So uh, a bunch of different uh, types of events. Yes, yes. Uh, It just amazes me, like the amount of uh, flexibility, the the amount of adaptation that's required for these different segments and and reaching out to them and getting them all fired up. I mean, as you mentioned, you're working with a big team, different members are specializing in different aspects, but even just from a promotional perspective Mm -hmm. and, and, and driving those registrations and that audience for it.
1: It's. I mean, honestly, it's actually a small team. So I, I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions is that Forbes is a million people and we're just, we have all these teams that do everything. You know, Forbes Live, these these individuals that I work with, they're probably some of the hardest working people that I've had to work with. It's a lot of, sometimes a lot of late late nights and missed opportunities with family and friends, but everybody cares a lot about what they're doing and the product that we're putting out. And we recognize that there's room for improvement, but you know, on audience development, it's, it's four of us managing all of the audience for, for every single event that Forbes does. And programming, there's like three people. So there's just a lot, um, you know, we like to say that we're very scrappy and we, we just roll up our sleeves and get it done. No job is too small. So it's really a testament to the team that, you know, it, we make it happen.
0: And I think uh, the perfect example of this is uh, what is arguably your biggest event yeah. of the year, the Under 30 Summit. Yes. And I think this event is particularly cool. I think it relates to the opportunity zones that we were discussing earlier. I know that you are working with different members from an audience generation standpoint as well. And it's just, it's huge. You mentioned it had uh, over uh, 10,000. or it's, Well, it's, we're it's, trying it's to get. It's <laughs> shooting for 10,000 attendees. Yeah, so
1: trying to get 10,000 attendees. This event is awesome. We've been doing it in Boston for the past couple of years. And this year, we have a partnership with the city of Detroit and it's really important for us to kind of get everyone involved. So it's something that every single person in this company touches in some capacity. When I say all hands on deck, this event, I think my first day I heard about this summit. It's just one of those events that it is our largest one that we produced. And it's, it's almost like sub-events within the event as well. So it really requires a heavy attention to detail. It requires a lot of project management. And it requires us just kind of working together to get it done. Mary Margaret, we actually just hired her on our team because we recognize that when we're working on all these different events at once, that we really needed someone dedicated to under 30 Detroit specifically. So she's been great. She's kind of been the main person overseeing all of it. But every person on the team is working on it in some capacity. So we might get asked to pull a list or help with an email or, you know, just anything. Uh, It's kind of like uh, we're weak. Definitely do the most in terms of marketing for this event. We have probably the biggest budget devoted to this event. Um, you know, rightfully so. Even our social campaigns. I'm sure if you've gone on our website once, I'm sure you've been targeted. Oh, I have. <laughs> and you, I'm sure you've seen one of those ads um, pop up. You know, but we're really excited about it. We we locked Serena Williams recently, and our roster, you know, is is constantly growing with you know CEOs from major organizations. So we're really excited about this one this year. Uh, you know, all of our team members are working together to kind of make it happen. We have, there's going to be a food festival and there's going to be, you know, major panel conversations with key players. We also have, it's like park concert. It's it's like the best of both worlds. And quite frankly, it's really, really affordable for the amount of days that we have at this summit. So I recommend anybody to just go online and check out pricing. Shameless plug. <laughs> 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 because it's Honestly, even the conferences that you know, Sydney and I just went to a conference and it was it was over a thousand dollars for, you know, I think it was what, two to three days. And this is significantly less than that, and it's 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 way more involved and way more in depth. So and you know, one of the major points here is it's for people that are young professionals. You don't have to be under 30. People always ask that. But it is for young professionals to kind of build their tribe and foster their community. And we have a predominant bunch of our attendee pool is from the under 30 list, which is, again, these are some of the brightest young minds in the world. So they're coming to network and make friends. And these kids are so down to earth. They're so relatable, but they're super smart. And You know, I think even from a general attendee standpoint, wanting to just jump in and be a part of that, you're able to walk away with major movers and shakers uh, in your database of of friends, and everyone's looking to make connections there. So I I think it's an awesome experience. It's unlike any event I've ever worked on in my entire career, and, you know, I think this year is going to be even better than last.
0: Very cool. Okay, so I want to shift the conversation to you, and uh, I'm curious, you know, you worked at... A bunch of different companies under some some great leaders, mm-hmm. and been at Forbes for some time. You're also just seem to be pretty knowledgeable about the marketing and event space in general. Who's an influential marketing or events executive that you think is a leader in the field or has been an influence to you?
1: So I can say I'm going to answer that in a two part answer. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> so one, I would actually say that instead of focusing it on the you know the big players in this space. What I've been inspired most from is the young players that are like on YouTube and they're out here, these young content creators. I've been in awe just watching how they have managed to to navigate and do what big brands have been struggling to do forever. And that's create content that matters, create followers that are truly engaged in what they're selling. And as a brand, that's the goal, like you know, you don't want to have to sell to anyone, but you want people to organically be interested in what it is that you have to say and to buy into what you're saying. And there's a whole team of young people out there right now that are masters on YouTube that have no big budgets behind them. They don't have access to all this, you know, these marketing teams and social media strategists. And they're just regular kids that like know what it is that they want to sell and the message that they want to put out there. And they are you know, they're collecting this mass audience and they're doing it better than some of us have been in the industry for years. So I think I get inspired by that. And I'm always trying to look at what they're doing because they have their eye on the ball. Like they know exactly how to reach their target. And I think we could learn a lot, especially some people that have been in the industry for a long time. We can all learn a lot from from these young professionals that are out there just saying, hey, I, I want to do makeup and it's this is my pain point, and I think it's probably a lot of other people's pain point. And this is how I'm gonna go about sharing my message and my story, and just that that honesty and that level of transparency, and being able to to relate to your audience in in that kind of way. I get inspired by that a lot when I see these guys doing it. So definitely, it's more the grassroots efforts that I'm seeing that are like winning. That really inspired me. I think outside of that, on a more personal level, it's just my parents. You know, my family is from Guyana. My mom and dad both came here and they didn't have much resources or help or anything like that. And I think that they've taught me that if I want to, you know, get ahead, I have to work hard and I have to put all my energy and resources into being the best version of myself I can be. And I would be nowhere without them. So I think that they have definitely played such a significant role. Uh, You know, when when you talk about sacrifice, when you talk about really having to, you know, Maybe miss some birthdays or dinners and, you know, and they never missed a birthday, just correction. <laughs> They're going to kill me. They're like, we never missed your birthday. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have to miss things like you might miss like concerts or things like that because you have to stay at work late. And me watching my mom, you know, work all throughout my career. And even as a kid, it really instilled in me the importance of going to work, importance of, of working hard and, and, and sacrifice and the fact that, yeah, dad wants to come to everything. But maybe he has to work late because we need, you know, to make sure that the lights are on. Or we need to make sure that you have you're fed. And, you know, and understanding that at a young age was super critical to me because I just feel like it from a young age taught me the, the value of hard work and the value of sacrifice. And I think they are by far my biggest inspiration for sure.
0: Wow. I love it. Okay, so if you could go back earlier in your career and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: I think I would tell my younger self that not everybody's going to like you, and that's okay. I think that, you know, when you're coming up, you want so badly to be liked by everyone. And, you know, even when people say they don't care and they don't care what people think, they do care. And you do want to be seen as an expert and you do want to get ahead. But you have to also understand that even sometimes your boss may not recognize how great you are. You know what I'm saying? And it's important for you to know that and for you to surround yourself with people who who lift you up in that way so you don't get stifled because someone else's version of who they think you are isn't who you become. So I look back on certain situations and, you know, sexism exists, racism exists. Like there's a lot of situations I remember interviewing for a role and being told that I should be in sales because I was pretty, you know, and You know, and a woman said that to me, you know, so it's kind of, you know, it's there's a lot of different things that you go through in your career that will start making you doubt your seat at the table. And I think it's really important that if you're young, that although I want you to be humble and I want you to, you know, not be afraid to start at the bottom, understand that you can have aspirations and you can keep going and don't let anybody, even if they're senior, more senior than you, make you feel like you can't get to that next step. Because if you work hard, you can literally achieve anything you want to.
0: So important to hear. I guess the final question I have for you is amidst all of this, amidst all of the hustle and bustle that you're in, how do you sort of take a step back, like take a breather and get refreshed?
1: That's a great question. So it's funny. When I started this job, and even before that, I'm a anybody who knows me and knows I'm a workaholic, I I I'm very passionate about my job. And if you ask my husband, he'll say I talk about it way too much <laughs> way too much. But it's hard, right, to find the balance sometimes. You know, last year I was actually planning in the process of planning my wedding and it was during the same time that we had our Forbes Under 30 summit and I I know that I was prioritizing work over my personal life and this is your wedding right it's like the most important day in your life but I I couldn't I couldn't break myself away and what that taught me you know after a few tears and breakdowns was Shade, get yourself together. Like, you have to prioritize what matters. If I die tomorrow, I'm not going to say, well, I planned that great event. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, you want to make sure that you're prioritizing your family, your friends, the people that matter. And one of the, the initiatives that I put in place this year was I wanted to make sure that process and uh, we were working you know, smarter and not harder. So with the help of my my right hand, Sydney, we were able to kind of put together processes in place and really streamline efforts to make sure that we were, managing up better, to make sure that we were building a system better. We were working with technology companies like Bizabo to help us through the process. And instead of spending hours on Excel reports, seeing if that's something that a tech company could do for us, and so that it's an easy pull. And, you know, so there's certain things that we felt was really necessary in the beginning of this year to set the stage for the rest of the year. And we're still working through a lot of the ins and outs, but I can say significantly by far that this year has been way better than than the year past. And it's because of those processes that we put in place and and valuing that balance. I think Michelle Obama had said something like, there is no such thing as work-life balance. You know, something has to give and, and that's the truth, right? So, you know, you have to kind of sit down with yourself and say, okay, my work is important, but my family is more important. My friends and my relationships are more important. So how can I be the best version of myself in the office, but also devote the time that my family needs and, and make that the priority first and foremost, because everything you're doing is for them, right? So I think some of the things that I've I've challenged myself to do is once we put that process in place is, you know, relying on your team. So instead of, you know, it's hard for type A personalities to kind of relinquish duties, but having a good team in place, it helps you decide, okay, I know that I trained Sid to do X, Y, and Z, and she can handle it. And I don't need to check on her every five seconds because I trained her and I know she can handle it. And if she needs me, she knows how to reach me, you know, and being able to empower your your younger team to be able to kind of rise up. And we've been seeing that all throughout, you know, so it's been really, really great to do that. And, you know, taking mental notes if you in days off if you need and, you know, traveling and just remembering what you're doing this all for, you know, so it's been great. I, I honestly, this has been a really, really good year for me. So I hope it continues.
0: Lovely. Uh, th- I think that's something that a-, a lot of our our listeners can identify with as well, especially in marketing and in events where you have such uh, such high pressure, you have these deadlines that Absolutely. you need to hit, yeah. you can always be doing something more to to, to get those registration numbers up. And no, to-
1: can I just say that we, you know, there was a colleague of mine that I worked with at New Bay, his name is Tony Savona, shout out to Tony, and I, re- <laughs> I remember um, we would be so overworked and overwhelmed, and I remember going into his office and we would vent, and I would say, he said to me, he said, you know, there used to be a time where you would throw more time on something, and it would get better. So if you were behind on a project, you would come in early or you would stay late and that would be the solve. And you did that for a couple of weeks and then you caught up and you were good to go. But the reality is there is, in events, there's just, that's just not the case. There's always going to be more to do And I'm sure Vents is not the only industry that's like this, but I'm just speaking from from my experience. So because of that, it's not about staying late and coming in early. The work is going to still be there and there's always going to be more work because there's always areas to improve. So you have to kind of set the tone of how you want to navigate your life and figure out how can I be the best version and still hold my work up to the standard that I need it to be, but also take time and understand that it's okay to take a day off and it's okay to, you know, say, Hey, you know, I need a minute to recharge uh, and know that that, that that's not going to be the end all be all, you know?
0: Definitely. All right. Well, I think that's our time for today, but uh, thank you so much for, for joining us, Shardea. No, this is I, great. I, thank I, you, Brandon. It's, it's, it's so cool to hear not only about the stuff that you're doing at Porps Live, which is very, very cool, but just also I think especially your perspectives on work-life balance and like navigating uh, a career is just really, really valuable.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Brandon. This is great.
0: A big thanks to Shardea for joining us today. This episode was such a treat. I loved learning a lot about what Chardé and her team are doing at Forbes Live. You know, the sheer variety of events and the way that they are engaging so many different audiences is just staggering. But the thing is, I found that the story of Chardé's professional career, all of the hustle, the overcoming of adversity in the workplace, and the role model parents who totally never forgot a birthday for the record, I found all that to be very inspiring as well. In listening to this episode, or any episode of In-Person for that matter, what really resonates with you? Do you tune in for the tactics and strategies, to see what other brands are up to, for the personal stories? Or are you just here to listen to the really amazing theme music? Now, I know there's a good chance that you're probably not at your computer right now, but I want to let you know that we're really interested in hearing what you think. If, once you're done listening to this episode, you have the time, please drop us a line at in-person at bizabo.com. You can also help us spread Sharia's story by sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes. Okay, until next time, I'm Brandon Raffleson, and this has been In Person.